Thank you so much for checking out the audio version of my channel, Ruslan KD, can you stream out loud on all platforms? If you, yes, you find this valuable, the best way you can reach me, the best way you can give me feedback, the best way you can even hop into a group Zoom call with me is through our King's Dream Patreon community. So consider partnering with us there. The link is in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for all the love and support. Now enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an incredible guest with us today. We have the privilege of talking to Dr. Michael Brown from uh, Ask Dr. Michael Brown show on YouTube, accomplished author, theologian, apologist. We're going to be talking about a couple different things, uh, Israel, Palestine, spiritual gifts, tongues. If you are here, please hit that like button for the YouTube algorithm. It costs you nothing and it helps a ton because what that does is you tell YouTube you like this video. YouTube pushes it up the algorithm. So do me that favor and without no further ado, Dr. Michael Brown is here. Thank you for coming on the show again. Dr. Michael Brown, how are you feeling today? Uh, doing good. Glad to be back on the air with you. All right. So the first time we talked, it was right after all of the election deception, all the prophecies, the the Q stuff. And it, it seems like it's died down. But I wanted just to before we get into the other stuff, I wanted just to kind of get your take now that we're on the other side of the election and we've seen even some ministries shut down. Uh, what do you what is your assessment of this entire thing now on the other side? We have multiple folks make prophecies. Trump is going to get reelected. It didn't happen. You stood strong about that. I appreciated you. Your channel is an oasis to me. What do you make of it all now a couple months later? Do you think it's died down or do you think it's still a lot of misconceptions and deceptions going on? It's, it has died down. We're not hearing about it all the time, but it's still there under the surface a lot. And the indication of that is you'll have some of these um, alleged prophetic voices posting something about a new vision and Trump's going to come back and the military is going to take over. And suddenly this post is getting thousands and thousands of likes and, and so on. So it's still there. And I'm, I'm really disappointed with the way many leaders handle things. On the one hand, there's been positive uh, outcome. Uh, many, many, many prophetic people said, hey, we never spoke this. Don't hold us responsible. This is you know, a certain circle of people that, that became prominent. But uh, some colleagues together wrote a prophetic standard statement that many, many hundreds have signed on to around the world saying we affirm this, you know, leaders from various backgrounds, we affirm these standards, we want to hold to this, we believe there needs to be a cleaning up of the, the prophetic movement in, in the charismatic church. That's been positive. Uh, the negative has been some are guilty of what I call hit and run leadership. They get got all these expectations, and it's going to happen, and you watch, and, and the days, and count, no, no, okay, this date, that day, and then when it didn't happen, they just kind of coast on. It's like, no, you can't do that. You created tremendous damage. You hurt many people. You brought reproach to the things of the spirit and to the name of Jesus. You created all kinds of confusion. Now own up to it. Mm. Take responsibility for it. And, and if you say, hey, I, I don't understand why I was wrong. I mean, according to everything I know that the Lord led and spoke, you know, be honest, that's fine. But to dodge it or, or to say it really did happen spiritually, to go into further deception, that's been disappointing. So the, the good thing is it's only a small number that are totally in fantasy land saying that Trump is the president, that mm -hmm. Biden is not the president, that Trump's mm -hmm. actually calling the shots and you watch any day 
he's about to be replaced by the military and so on. So, you know, I've been shouting as loudly as I can for many months. It's not going to happen. Forget about it. Um, in 2024 elections, who knows what's happening that we're talking about yeah. right now, this, this right term. Now. Yeah. So thankfully, it's, it's a relatively small number that are going on with that. But they definitely have strong followings. I can tell you this, that if I made a post just saying, hey, let's move forward, etc., and, and let's learn from the mistakes and move forward, that would get a certain amount of affirmation on social media. But if I was one of these other guys saying I had another dream and you watch what's going to happen, that would get probably 10 times more affirmation. Mm -hmm. So it's still out there. And then others have, have done what I would call bait and switch, which is we're talking about you know, praying for the elections, praying for the overturning of the elections, praying for awakening in America. And then when the election things didn't happen as scheduled, as prophesied, it's like, yeah, and we're contending for that awakening in America. It's like, hang on, you meant something different. You were talking more like the QAnon Great Awakening, you know, where all the pedophiles are going to be exposed and so on. And that's what you were talking about. Then it kind of shifted now to something more spiritual and generic. So I feel like a lot of stuff was just swept under the rug, uh, but goods come out of it. And, yeah. and by the way, when you mentioned ministry shutting down, you know, Jeremiah Johnson is, is a young colleague and he's got a lot of integrity. And he had prophesied in January 2018 that if, if Trump didn't humble himself and if the church didn't mm. stop looking to him in an idolatrous way that he would not be reelected. Yeah. And then he got caught up in wrong political thing, misinterpreted a dream and then said Trump would be reelected, repented, totally took it on the chin. When he shut down Jeremiah Johnson ministries, it wasn't to say I'm so embarrassed about what happened, but to say, Hey, there was a whole wrong thing we got involved with and the whole spirit of Facebook and the politicizing. I'm just shutting that down and going on with ministry God's called me to. So he's, he's mm -hmm. active in ministry, has okay. a school being raised up and all that. Yeah. But he realized the whole thing that he became part of was such a miserable mixture with so much pollution and so much animosity and hatred that it was, it, you couldn't fix it. You just had to yeah. let that die. And he had a million social media followers just let the whole thing die. So to yep. me, that speaks of integrity. Okay. Uh, but it's, it, it was a real ugly mix. Last thing, I plan to write a book on the political seduction of the church. Yeah. And it's something that can very easily happen with sincere people that are concerned about the direction of the country. But when the number one thing, namely loving God, loving our neighbor, reaching the lost, making disciples, living godly lives ourselves, when the number one thing becomes number three or five or seven, and instead the, the number 10 thing, you know, political activity becomes number one, it's a recipe for disaster. And that's just what happened. That's good. Uh, so thank you for clarifying that about his ministry specifically, because yeah. it sounds like he's still doing ministry. He just isn't doing it on a social media platform. So that's actually really good to know. Uh, I thought the way uh, Chris Valentin from Bethel handled it uh, was well. I think he, he apologized, took the apology down and put it back up. And it seems like they've done a good job of responding to it. What was your, what, what did you make of, of, of the way he handled it? I mean, Bethel was a huge in this entire new charismatic yeah. movement, if you will. So what happened with Chris is I found out directly from him that even though he has been speaking prophetically about who he felt would be elected, he's never done it publicly maybe he's journaled it or spoken it to an internal team. He was preaching a message and just let slip out in the, in the message. Oh, by the way, Trump's going to win. So he's mortified that he did that. He was the only reason he, he, he apologized immediately. He said, we, we want to model you middly and that's mm -hmm. what we're going to do. So he did that wonderfully. No excuses. 
he had, it was terribly grieved that he hurt people, terribly grieved that people were misled over it. You know, I, I was talking to him with some other leaders subsequently, and, and his heart was really pained over, over that. When, when he took the video down, uh, when he got criticized for it, there were people saying, look, you still don't know, honestly, Chris. There's so much talk about election fraud and so many questions about what happened, and it, thing, it seemed to shift at the last minute. Just isn't this a little premature? Because it's kind of like damning everybody else in the process. So in deference to others, he took it down. I don't think he was being double-minded. Mm. But that's the way you have to handle it. And look, yeah. when I had addressed it in advance, saying, okay, you're either right or wrong. There's no middle ground. You're saying Trump's <laughs> going to serve eight consecutive years. Either he is or he isn't. It's, it's that yeah. simple. Yeah. And, and it's not like an ambiguous prophecy. And I saw a light coming out of a dark place with red and blue. And I think it means this. I mean, this, these are direct words. So I just said, please, no, no, no playing games with it. No manufacturing. Well, it really happened, but it didn't happen. And, you know, either yes or no. And you say, well, he really did win, but it was stolen. It's like, well, why didn't you prophesy that? Mm. We, I don't care who wins in the abstract. I just want to know in the, in the end who's in the White House. That's, that's mm. the issue. So, but, but when I addressed it, I said, look, no one's going to throw you under the bus. Let's find out why so many were so wrong. Mm. let's really humble ourselves. Let's step back from doing certain things and learn and then move forward together. Let's welcome the refiner's fire, the purifying, the, the divine discipline. And some did, but others didn't. And again, that's, that's been the greater disappointment. I would have expected more like Jeremiah, more like Chris. And instead that was the, the, the minority, sadly. Mm. Wow. That's, that's good to know. Okay. So Dr. Michael Brown, you wrote a book responding to uh, John MacArthur's book about uh, what, what was his book called? Strange Fire. Strange Fire. Yeah. Strange Fire. You wrote a book uh, responding to it from a, a charismatic standpoint. And I think this is one of the things I've always disagreed with uh, Dr. John MacArthur about. And I think just, I don't know how, not the biggest fan of how he talks about charismatics and the, the, the caricature he attempts to paint. You wrote a book responding to it which I thought was great. And this still seems like a huge dividing line for a lot of Christians. Uh, I have specific questions for you about tongues and prophecy and all that kind of stuff, but can you help us understand, like, why is this such a polarizing topic? You engage with people from all different camps. I saw you did a debate with uh, Dr. James White, which I have questions about that, but you have brothers that are Calvinists. You have brothers, you know, acquaintances that are not necessarily charismatic or, or what have you. Why is like this thing so polarizing in the church, and 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 can we find middle ground with our Pentecostal brothers and sisters? And again, I have more questions, but if you could just unpack that, your experience with that, and and just how nasty some of the attacks against charismatics sometimes are. Yeah. So the book I wrote was called Authentic Fire, that was responding to Strange Fire, and my own background. I got saved in a Pentecostal church. Um, was there for six years, began to question certain things in the church, some of the doctrine, questioned aspects of the gifts of the Spirit, became part of another church that was open to the possibility of the things of the Spirit for today, but really was not a tongue-speaking church in, in any way, shape, size, or form. And we, we had no, almost no manifestation of spiritual gifts in our midst. Uh, we were Calvinistic, but rich in good works, uh, helping the poor and needy, you know, great in many, many ways in terms of our action but really powerless in other ways. Mm. And while I was there, I was doing my PhD work at NYU. 
and really, I, I didn't want to be Pentecostal. I didn't like it. it, it to me, it was like unsophisticated intellectually and mm. praying for people and people slain in the spirit, just silly. And what does that prove? And anybody could fall. So I, I, I had strong arguments against it. I remember the pastor asked us at one point uh, to, 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 write art, to, to write papers to discuss together. I was one of the elders about healing, what we believed about healing, because we were trying to sort that out doctrinally as we were praying for the sick, what should we expect or not? And I said, look, the main thing is God smites and judges, you know, because I was so focused on Old Testament. And so I was really hostile and tried to get away from speaking in tongues and tried to get away from believing in miracles and stuff. For the, I bought books against them. But the more I read the books, I thought these arguments are terrible. The, the word is just too clear. I, I can't deny what scripture yeah. says. It's just too clear. So I wrote my doctoral dissertation on the Hebrew word for healing because I, I just had to study more and understand more and, and then wrote a monograph that expands on that it called Israel's Divine Healer that came out in 95, you know, in-depth academic study. So whether I never see a sick person healed, whether I never see a true prophecy come to pass, I am continuationist because the Bible says so. As I have a chapter in Authentic Fire, Sola Scriptura, and therefore charismatic, I, I find it unmistakably clear that if you were locked alone in a room with a Bible and can yep. read fluently in Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. And that's all you knew. And for 10 years, you read that you would come out thinking that this is what was happening today. It would not dawn on you. I don't mean that you think you could walk on water like Jesus did because none yep. of the apostles do, you know, Peter does momentarily, but that was never part of our commission, but you'd expect to see the gifts of the spirit manifest healing miracles, signs and wonders that Jesus was alive with abuses. Yes. That's what you expect to see with yes. abuses that needed to be fixed. Just like in that day. So, with all respect to my non-charismatic friends, the word to me is, is absolutely clear. And a lot of, of people have left the charismatic movement, not because of scripture, but because of bad experience. I began to hear from readers of Authentic Fire who said, reading your book, I was convicted. The word does say this is for today, but I had bad experiences in my Pentecostal church or my charismatic hmm. church, like the Trump prophecies, you know, false prophecies or healing guaranteed and it didn't happen or whatever, you know, and, and um, they got burnt out by bad experience. So the, the, the critics always say, you guys are all about experience. We're about the word. I said, no, I believe this based on the word. And, and many of you don't believe it based on bad experience. So uh, the reason it gets so volatile for some, with, with all respect to Pastor MacArthur and the, the wonderful work he's done in so many ways and a strong uncompromising stance for the gospel, uh, he has known to be especially harsh in attacking those he differs with uh, on, on many fronts. And because he has seen the worst of charismania, and to him that is such an obscene caricature of, of what following Jesus is supposed to look like and what scriptures look like, and because he seems to be quite cerebral in his faith, you know, even saying that that sometimes when singing hymns, he wishes the music would stop so he could just concentrate on the words. Uh, and, you know, the idea of having a, a close relationship with God through prayer and intimacy, these things uh, sound foreign to him. So from that perspective and given his penchant for being very harsh and critical of those he differs with, that's been some of the lashing out with charismatics. And of, of yeah. course, in the book, you see that I, I seek to honor him and not respond in like tone. But, but to be perfectly honest, when you travel around the world, this is not this big an area of, of dispute. The, mm. the churches that are growing all around the world 
almost invariably believe in the gifts and power of the Spirit for today, mm. whether they're called Pentecostal or charismatic or third wave. You know, there's the joke in Africa, you know, there are no atheists in Africa and in Baptist churches in Africa, they cast out demons, you know, that, that the, the amount of people who believe in cessationism and, and hold to this theology, it, it's actually an increasingly small island yeah. that you, you, you could misunderstand living in America, but again, around the world, what's happening, it doesn't have as many divides. And I, I said this last, this last thing, the reason we got where we are as in church, in church history, it's well documented, different church leaders talk about second century, third century healings, miracles, exorcisms, but it would seem that as the church lost its biblical foundations, became more and more filled with the traditions of men, that there was less and less demonstration of God's power in their midst. And then when you're raised in that, you form a theology based on that. Now, interestingly, the Catholic Church still emphasized miracles, but with the Lutheran Reformation, part of the polemic against the Catholic Church also had to be a polemic against miracles, because otherwise they could say, well, we have the miracles. Mm. So there was a rationalism that came in with the Reformation that became part of the theology. So you have that, plus you don't see healing, you don't see miracles, you don't see tongues, prophecy, then we don't believe it, we don't see it, that confirms yeah. it. Yeah. And thankfully, though, more and more people across the board, Baptist, Presbyterian, all different denominations, being filled with the Spirit, seeing God move in greater ways. And whether people agree on this or not, I'm going to major on the majors with people. You want to get on the front lines of the battle with me to win the loss, make disciples, stand for righteousness. Let's do it. Whether you speak in tongues or not, let's do it. And I won't put you, push you off because of that. Don't push me off because, well, let's work together for a dying world. Yeah. Guys, Dr. Michael Brown is dropping so much heat right now. I need you guys to give this video a like for the YouTube algorithm so no one misses it, okay? This is this is good. Okay, Qu question for you. You, you. Would you, if it could even happen, would you debate a, a Dr. John MacArthur on this topic? Because I that's, that is pay-per-view-esque content, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I reached out years ago uh, through his right-hand man to try to meet face-to-face. -face. That never happened. Mm. And then I know that he was invited to debate me in an academic setting, and uh, they got no reply to that. Mm. Uh, so he, he has definitely been offered to debate. I, I think it would be so helpful. Yeah. You know, he knows the word. He's a solid yeah. expositor. He's written commentaries yeah. on so much of the Bible. I think it would just be enlightening, eye-opening, and uh, I would debate uh, any theologian or academic uh, on the subject. You know, what does the yeah. New Testament teach? What's for today? Yep. But if he would do it, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I'd, I'd hmm. fly at my expense to wherever he asked and yeah. whatever, however many hours with a moderator, you know, making an all-day affair or two-hour with, with joy. Hmm. And, and, you know, no ad hominem, just Scripture, Scripture. What does the Word yeah. say? What does the Word say? In a heartbeat. You yeah, that would that would be that would be good. I'm bummed that that never that hasn't happened, and not to say it won't ever happen, but I'm bummed it hasn't happened. Um, you said uh, you said one thing that 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 stuck. By the way, everything you said there about the churches internationally, I'm I'm just getting complete goosebumps hearing about it. just hearing that and understanding processing it, it. It is so good. But you said I am continuationist because I am sola scriptura. Did, did I phrase yeah. that right, or I'm sola scriptura? Yeah, therefore, yeah. I'm no, continuationist. That's, that's Either way, that Either is way. so good. That is so good. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm wow. That is really good. Um, so 
you you acknowledge the experience, just like with a lot of the Trump prophecy stuff. Uh, we talked about you know the the book with John MacArthur. Um, in terms of the the spiritual gifts, in terms of what we see demonstrated with Scripture, I am a hundred and fifty percent there with you. I've spoken in tongues, speak in tongues. I we I go to a charismatic church where you know there's prayer for healing every Sunday. There's, there's stuff that, 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 that happens. There's, there's even flags. There's even flags, Dr. Brown. <laughs> Sometimes kind of creeped me out that I met the little girls that waved the flags and I felt like such a, uh, such a jerk for feeling away about the flags. So like we're, we're charismatic now in, 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 in having been Calvinist and uh, a theological mutt, as I would call, I've been all over the spectrum as well. Um, here's where I, 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 we are right now. In terms of some of the YouTube content space, there's a pastor named uh, Michael Todd who did a video, and he said that um, tongues are, are not a sign of salvation. He said that the fruit of the Spirit is a sign of salvation. So that caused the Pentecostal community to be in an uproar. Guys like Marcus Rogers responded. Then the following week, he does another video saying that um, tongues are uh, um, an upgrade of the Spirit, right? Uh, And basically saying that everyone can speak in tongues if they have enough faith and if they have enough what have you, right? And to me, again, I speak in tongues. Uh, I, I, I have no problems with the gifts of the Spirit. I have no problem praying in tongues. But it seems like maybe because of the passages at the end of Mark, those 11 verses, maybe because of, you know, kind of, I don't know, it seems like picking and choosing and maybe a misunderstanding of what the baptism of John was and, and this whole thing. Um in terms of you, and, and, and this is why I'm, I'm appealing to your authority because you're one of the few Pentecostal background charismatics that operate on a higher theological, um, not theological, but like a scholarly level. When it comes to the gift of tongues, um, I believe it's a gift. Like at First Corinthians chapter 12, we'll all prophesy, we'll all speak in tongues, we'll all heal, but desire the earnest gifts. And then he goes into the, 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 big, the most important gift being love. Um, where are you at on the spectrum of tongues specifically? Because it's causing such an uproar where I believe in tongues, but like some of my best friends, some of the most anointed Holy Spirit people I know don't speak in tongues. They've never spoken in tongues. Not because they haven't wanted to, not because they haven't asked for it. It just, it just hasn't happened for them. My wife doesn't speak in tongues, you know? And, and so I hear this stuff and I'm kind of like, oh, I get a little defensive for my for my folks that don't speak in tongues. I speak in tongues. I'm I'm not quite sure on like the baptism, the second baptism. Something definitely happened to me post-salvation where I fell out and it was a wild experience. I couldn't move. And then someone put their, their hand on my face and said, speak child. And I spoke in tongues and it was real. And I've done it since. And it's, it, it was super real. And I've seen healing and I believe in all that stuff. But on this topic, uh, to you, from your understanding of the Hebrew, the Greek, is tongues a gift or is tongues a sign or of, of salvation? Or is like where where do we where do we categorize that when we're talking about the original yeah. scriptures? So let, let's break this down. The only ones who would believe it's a sign of salvation are oneness Pentecostals. Uh, no other Pentecostals believe that. Other Pentecostals believe it's the primary sign, or they would say the initial physical evidence of the baptism of the Spirit, which is subsequent to salvation. So okay. it's only a, a, a tiny minority within the Pentecostal movement that would say tongues were sign of salvation. And some okay. would say that they're outright heretics because of other beliefs, denial of Trinity, etc. Mm. So okay. let's put that aside. Okay. The debate would really be, is it the sign of the baptism of the spirit 
is the baptism of the Spirit something subsequent to salvation? And can all believers potentially speak in tongues? Those would be the, the main questions. Mm-hmm. The, the Pentecostal view that's been taught for the last century plus with the great outpourings that began the late 1800s into the early 1900s that were accompanied with tongues, mm-hmm. that based on the book of Acts, that the baptism of the Spirit in Acts 2 is with tongues. Obviously, foreign language is there, but speaking different, in tongues. Different kind of tongue, right? Because there's the languages, and then there's the prayer language, and then there's also like a Yeah, I mean, it's tongue. all the same word in, the same word okay. in Greek. is you know, languages, okay. tongues, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll just say tongues. Got it. Got uh, it. But they're clearly foreign languages. Something distinct happens in Acts 8. The, the Samaritans are saved but if they haven't yet received the Spirit, then when Peter and John lay hands on them, they receive the Spirit. So something tangible happens to the point of Simon, the former sorcerer, saying, hey, I want to buy this gift. How do I get it? Right? And then in Acts 10, when, when they're baptized in the Spirit, Cornelius and, and, and his household and others there, the sign is they speak in tongues. And then in Acts 19, Peter meets, uh, Paul meets believers from Ephesus and says, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? So the question is, why ask that if it happened automatically? And then they didn't even know about this because they only knew about John's baptism. So he teaches them, baptizes them, and then prays, and they're filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues and prophesy. So the traditional Pentecostal doctrine, like Assemblies of God and other Pentecostal denominations, is that subsequent to salvation, there is an empowerment by the Spirit, which should be for every believer, and the initial sign of that outwardly will be speaking in tongues. Right. That's that's what I was saved under. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe growing up in the Lord started speaking, saved November, December of 71, spoken tongues the first time, January 24th of 72 and and happily ever after uh, the the view that would be more common in the larger charismatic movement is that when you're saved, you're also baptized in the spirit, that it's all one and the same event. A Pentecostal would say when you're saved, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. You have the witness of the spirit, the leading of the spirit, but the empowering of the spirit is subsequent. So that's the, the second work, the second act. That's where the greater controversy is. And then charismatics would say that tongues is a prayer language and, and that may be a gift you have. Someone else may have a different gift, etc. Whereas Pentecostals would say everyone should ask for the baptism of the spirit and everyone should speak in tongues. So Paul explicitly says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. So that's clear. So we have to say that I go with Paul there. You know, he says, don't forbid speaking in tongues. And in the context of first Corinthians 14, he says he speaks in tongues more than all the Corinthians, Mm -hmm. but that's in his private, not in public meetings. Mm -hmm. And that uh, when you speak in tongues, you're speaking mysteries in the spirit and no one understands you gratifying yourself, which is good, but not for public. So that's obviously something different than Acts 2 because no one understands you. It can only be understood with a gift of interpretation. And especially for our personal edification and prayer, he talks about you can give thanksgiving in tongues, etc., but people won't understand what you're saying. So don't forbid speaking in tongues, but above all, seek to prophesy. And then when he goes through the end of 1 Corinthians 12 and says, okay, are all apostles, are all prophets, no, are all miracle workers, no. Do all speak in tongues, do all gifts of healing, no. So there are only two possible ways to understand that. One, tongues is a gift for some, but not for all. That's simple. That's why you speak in tongues and I speak in tongues. My wife does, your wife doesn't, your other friends don't. It's for some, not for others. That would just be a straightforward way of reading what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 12. And that would then contradict the Pentecostal view that the baptism of the Spirit is for everyone after salvation, and it's marked by speaking in tongues first and foremost. The other way of reading 1 Corinthians 12 is that he's talking about gifts that are 
that are displayed, manifest in the body and in public, etc. And that he's talking about the one who speaks in tongues for interpretation, and not everyone is gifted or called to do it. Now, theoretically, you could, but you know, I wonder how many times have you spoke, gotten up in your congregation, and delivered a message in tongues that someone interpreted? You know, right. uh, I've, yeah, I've hardly ever really done that my whole life. Yeah, 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 you yeah. Know, I speak in tongues every day. So some would say tongues is for everyone, potentially, but not everyone has the gift of tongues. To, to deliver a message publicly. And others would say that seems forced exegetically. My own view is that, that anyone potentially to be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues, and it's a beautiful, wonderful gift that God gives. However, I fully understand that not everyone will. And the last thing I would ever do is rate who has and who doesn't, you know, the haves versus the have-nots, hmm. or say you're not anointed or you're not empowered by the Spirit. They could be empowered by the Spirit in five other ways and not that. So I just tell people this. Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen that if we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, yeah. how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Mm-hmm. So yes, we have the Spirit. We're indwelt by the Spirit. But we're saying, Father, everything you have, Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit continuously. Acts 2, they're filled with the Spirit. Acts 4, they're filled with the Spirit, Right. So I would just say, Father, everything you have for me so that I could be as intimate as possible with you and serve you most effectively and make Jesus known most effectively to the world, I'm asking for that Mm. and help me to to flow in the reality of it. And if you find yourself speaking in tongues, wonderful. If, If you don't feel led in that direction or there's no, you're not convinced scripturally, then wonderful, go on with the Lord. But I think all of us, for the glory of God and the good of the world, should say, Father, everything you've given me, if it's in me already, then help me to learn to draw on it. If it's something that has to be added to me, let it be. And, and I once asked Leonard Ravenhill, I said, I heard a guy preaching, and he was saying, the moment you're saved, you have everything of God you'll ever have. It's just a matter of growing in it. You can make an argument for that. And he said, when a baby's born, uh, that baby has its eyes and nose and legs and heart. It just grows body grows and the organs grow and that's it. So I said to him, how would you respond to that? And he, he looked at me with that twinkle in his eye. He said, Mike, I've never seen a baby born that was fully clothed. <laughs> so, you know, the, the scriptures even use that like Judges 6, that, that the, the spirit clothed Gideon. Yeah. So many believers, you know, be it D.L. Moody, be it, be it R.A. Torrey, be it others who were non-tongue speakers, talked about the baptism of the spirit or the empowering of the spirit or seeking God earnestly and having this, this power encounter that changed their lives. So I commend that to everyone and then let the Lord work it out. However it works out in your own life. Yeah. I I I love how you, you phrased all that. It it is potentially something that could happen, but it won't, it, it may not, we know it won't happen for all believers, but it could potentially. But what I loved about that is the posture of, God, give give me everything you have for me. Give me the fullness of all of, of whatever you have for me. And I think that ultimately places the responsibility on us being open to whatever God may do with us and not limiting what God can do based on our experience or I got a bad taste in my mouth because I met this Pentecostal person that da, 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 and saying, hey, whatever you have for me, Lord, whatever, whatever, wh- whatever gifts, I'm, I'm open to those, even if it's a gift that I'm uncomfortable with. And that's a, a, a genuinely where my heart was because I didn't. I 
didn't like the people that I knew who spoke in tongues. They they, yeah. they 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 made me uncomfortable, and they there were some questionable things about some of their choices and and so on and so forth. But I was in that posture. It happened for me. Um, it hasn't happened for other people. But what I am getting from you though is in all of these things. There are no JV Christians. There are no, you're just a little less than, you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have the fullness, you don't, you know, hey, potentially you could get the gift of tongues someday, but, you know, it, 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 is that is that fair to say, like, there is no yeah, look, tier of Christians based on them not speaking in tongues? Right, absolutely, and it's cruel and judgmental to make someone feel like there's something wrong with it. What do you want that person to start making up words? you know, or, or trying to produce something or, or think that somehow God loves them less or that there, there's a, you know, there's the saved and the really saved. So obviously many of us live way below our spiritual potential, right? Many are, many are, are, you know, just caught up with worldly things or, or yeah. prayerless or don't really have a burden for the lost or, you know, bound by, by some sexual sin or whatever. And, and we're, we're, we're walking it, way, way beneath our potential in the Lord. And if the Lord spoke to us directly, he, he might bring a word of rebuke and correction, but that's to us as his children. There's not, yeah. you know, here, let me say this. I absolutely believe the Bible is very clear on the role of leaders and the importance of leaders in the body. But the clergy laity distinction is not a biblical distinction. That, that's a traditional church distinction. You know, the, we are, the, we are so, all, Say that one more time. The, the clergy laity the distinction, can you explain that? Yeah, yeah. So that we, we do have leaders in the body that God has right. raised up to shepherd and teach and, and do many other things. But the idea that you have the clergy, the spiritual class, like the priestly class, and then you have the laity, okay. that's mm. no, there, there's no such concept. We are all in the Bible, sons and daughters of God. We are all members of the body of Christ. We are all priests to God. We are all branches in the vine. So which part of the, the branch is clergy, which is lay, which part of the body is clergy? No, you don't make those distinctions in the That's same good. way. We don't have the tongue speakers versus the non-tongue speakers or, or the healers versus the non-healers. Mm. So again, when, when, when Moses uh, is confronted by Joshua in Numbers 11 because the spirit was taken from him and shared with 70 of the elders and they were only supposed to prophesy um, in, in one location and there were two Eldad and Medad, who are out in the camp prophesying, and Joshua says, you know, should I shut them down? Because they're not doing it according to the right order. And Moses said, I wish all the Lord's people were prophets. Mm. What, what's written in Joel 2.28 and following that Peter quotes in Acts 2.17, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Uh, the Hebrew just says, and after this I'll pour out my spirit. But Peter puts in the words instead, in the last days, to say, hey, what Joel spoke of is happening now in these last days the, the, this era with the death and resurrection of Jesus, mm -hmm. where God will pour out his spirit on all flesh yeah. and your sons and daughters will prophesy. So I say to everyone, this is for the last days. This is the time in which we're living, the time of the outpouring of the spirit. So again, I, I want people to have everything God's promised, the fullness of it. And, and, you know, some, someone had said it's, it's easier to cool down a fanatic than to warm up a corpse. <laughs> so I would rather have the gifts of the spirit operating yeah. and then we have to correct abuses yeah. than, than not have them operating. Yeah. And, and you know, the, when people say, oh, you're dangerous, heretical teaching this and that, it's like, well, if you're going to raise a charge of heresy, how about, yeah. and, and I'm not making this charge, 
But if, if the New Testament is filled with spiritual realities that we're supposed to be walking and experiencing today, and you say that's not for today, that's a massive denial of Scripture, in, in yeah. my view. Yeah. And, and you know, that's why I take real issue with the hypercritics. But I'd encourage everyone, read through the New Testament afresh, read through the Gospels. Yes, there's a special grace on Jesus, the fullness of the Spirit, to demonstrate that he's the Messiah. But that's also the pattern and the paradigm. Because that's what happened when the kingdom, that's what happens when the kingdom breaks in. Yeah. And that's why he tells us to go preach the kingdom and heal the sick, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness is dispelled. I go through the book of Acts and say, okay, where does it say it stopped? Yeah. And because Paul says, don't forbid speaking in tongues, because Paul says, don't quench the spirit, test everything, hold fast to good, don't despise prophecies. Yeah. He gives those warnings because Jacob James tells us to pray for the sick and the prayer for the faith to make the sick person well then I need something in scripture where God says, now stop doing that. Yep. Only for a certain point, it's not yep. there. Yep. So yep. even if I don't experience something, I'm still going to go after it if God promised it, and if it's for his glory and for the good of others. That, that, I don't need God to convince me he's real. I've been in the Lord almost 50 years now. I don't need a sign or a miracle like, oh, I finally know it's true. I've, I've walked with God. I've seen his reality. I've experienced his goodness. I could tell story after story that's just mind-blowing of, of his activity and, and work. But I'm jealous for others to know him. I'm, I'm jealous for God's power to come in preaching where the conviction is so deep. People are screaming out, what do I do to be saved? I'm looking for the Holy Spirit to work in such a way that when prophetic words come in and your, your brother-in-law is visiting the service as a skeptic and mocker, by the end of the service, he's on his face repenting. You know, and, and then just on the compassion level, you know, so much suffering and pain just with a, an old friend of, of our family. And um, she lost her daughter to cancer in her 40s and, you know, left behind a husband and little boy and, you know, kids in a cancer ward. It's like, I just want to see the love of God touch them. It's, it's not about sensationalism. It's about yeah. compassion and it's about seeing God glorified before the world. Yeah, that's good. And. Yeah, that that that's so good. So my my question, my next question to you, when it comes to our lives, I think I think hopefully everybody watching this, anybody that would claim the title of Christ follower, would agree that hey, our lives should be supernatural. Our lives should look different. Our lives should be different, and it's not just this intellectual knowing the right things but there's an ex there is an experimental uh thing that happens to christians and it comes from knowing the right things that then we have this encounter this experience with god and i what i again what, what i love about the way you articulate these things is that it's they don't have to be an opposition of each other it doesn't have to be sensationalism or just head knowledge and theology and all that kind of stuff that they, they they are together they are compl complementary they they work together um some of the some of the um quoting when it comes to the gift of tongues is a lot of the verses when it says pray in the spirit right and i think the tough part for me is when i read those passages when i read some of the the commentaries on it they're always they're not clear that these passages in romans and I think, is it, is it in Jude, that if these passages about praying in the Spirit are about praying in tongues, or if praying in tongues and praying in, in the Spirit are two different things. As someone that, you know, you, you have studied the original languages, you could speak in it. Um, where where, did, where do you fall on that? Is, is, is the praying in tongues, praying in tongues, can someone who doesn't have the gift of tongues pray in the Spirit, right? And, 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 how does that, and how does that work together? 
Yeah, it's both and. Uh, Ephesians 6, pray in the Spirit with all kinds of requests. Well, he's telling us to pray with our understanding there. So if, if you can't pray in the Spirit while you pray in your native language, well, then are you praying in the flesh? You're, what is wow. that? So, so of course we can pray in the Spirit in, in our native language. So yes. we're praying with the cooperation of the Spirit, the anointing of the Spirit, the leading of the Spirit. Yep. But certainly, since Paul talks about praying with my spirit and we're, we're praying by the spirit to God, obviously speaking in tongues is one of the most wonderful ways to pray in the spirit. So you have Ephesians six praying in the spirit with all kinds of prayers requests. You have, you have Jude that you mentioned, build yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the spirit. And then you have Romans eight that the spirit uh, intercedes for us with groans that can't be uttered. So that to me is, is travail when you're so deeply gripped that all you can do is literally groan and sob and, and weep. And those are some of the most sacred prayer times for me. But often the progression is I'll be praying in tongues for, for a good period of time. I mean, I, I've had seasons in my life for every day for, for years on end. I, I pray in tongues at least an hour a day and then you know other prayer in addition to that. But maybe I'm praying in tongues for a while, and then my mind begins to get quickened with a subject, and next thing I'm overwhelmed with a burden, and I'm, I'm literally laying on the floor, not just sobbing, but groaning. It's only, the only way I can express this. The burden and pain is so deep. And then out of that, I'm, I've written books that have come out of that, you know, directives to do that. Sometimes out of that, I'm now gripped to pray in English for a specific thing. So I look at it as both and, that praying in tongues is definitely a way to pray in the spirit, as long as you're doing it communion with God, not just mindless you know, muttering. But that's definitely praying in the spirit. But sure, you can pray in the spirit in, in your own language. So both and. That's good. That's good. So someone that doesn't have the gift of tongues can still pray in the spirit and the groans, that passage, I think that's in Romans, uh, yeah. is they're, still, they're still experiencing that. They're getting that fullness. Yeah, and, and there are many Christians that can relate to that. The, the burden is just so deep, you can't express it in words, and it's like this groan comes from the inside. That's the Spirit praying through us. Uh, now, I, I think it's, it's a, a short step from there to begin to speak in tongues, and sometimes people just have a misconception. They think that they're just going to sit there like this, and the Holy Spirit is going to force them to say words, as opposed to just as the Holy Spirit moves on you, you speak out what's there, and then you realize, wow, this is a language that I'm not manufacturing. And the more you speak in it, the more you realize it. But look, I can just, I can say, Lord, just bless Jerusalem, Lord, part your grace on him, do good for him, help him in his ministry, draw him close to you. I can pray that in the spirit, right? You know, as the yeah. spirit leads and, 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 and pushed and empowered by the spirit for sure. Yeah. Uh, is it a code when, you know, Jude praying in the spirit, build yourself up? Well, Paul does say in first Corinthians 14, that the one that prays, prays in the spirit uh, edifies himself. The one that prays in tongues edifies himself. So for sure, you build yourself up. And people say, isn't that selfish? Well, no, I'm doing ministry work. I'm, I want to be built up so I can serve others. I don't want to be built up so I can float around the house. I want to be built up so when I write, the spirit's behind my words. And when I preach, the spirit's behind my words. And, and, I, and, and I'm not wasting your time with, with something meaningless. So you want to build yourself up so you can go and serve others. Yeah. So it's definitely an effective way to do it. And those who are tongue speakers who've never really used the gift extensively in, in your own private prayer times, I really encourage you to do it. And, and you will see positive change come. 
Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I see. I just, I, I love how this is like we can come together. <laughs> like it's not. It doesn't have to be polarizing. It doesn't have to be. Oh, if you don't have the gift, you don't really have the whole Holy Spirit. You don't really have the fullness. Like, and, uh, yeah, I, I love how you broke that down. This is a good question. Um, how does one discern between speaking in different languages by the Spirit's power and attempting tongues by the flesh? Or is that our job to discern? This is from my brother Baptist, 702. So that discernment, like when people do fake the gift of tongues, right? Um, and how do we discern between one is someone doing that by the Spirit's power and versus them attempting to do it by, by the flesh? And and, or, and I guess the, the, the broader question is, is, the, is that even our job to discern? Yeah, the, the Bible never gives an example in the New Testament where, where that was an issue. Uh, prophecies are to be judged. So two or three prophets speak and the others weigh carefully what was said. All the believers are told, test everything, hold fast to that, which is good. So we're given directives for that, but nowhere does it say try to distinguish between false tongues and, and real tongues. Either it wasn't a major issue or it wasn't a major concern. Uh, what I, what I want to do is this. I, I, I'm not there to tell someone that's it, that's the real thing, or you're making it up. I'm there to encourage them to have an encounter with God. Maybe I'm going to lay hands on them and ask God to, to fill them and touch them uh, by his spirit and, and leave that to them in God. If they were disruptive in a service, that would be an issue. Whether it was real tongues or false tongues, if it was disruptive in a service, um, you know, I, I, was, I was preaching once in the Brownsville Revival, and it was a Saturday night uh, meeting. And I remember it was, it was airing on live radio stations at the same time. And, you know, I get up to preach and a lady in the balcony starts shouting out in tongues. And uh, I, I said, sister, uh, please hold your peace. I'm, I'm speaking now. There's only one of us can be speaking. And I checked my own heart. I waited for a second. Is this supposed to be a message in tongues with interpretation? I felt no, it's time for the message. So I said, please <laughs> hold your peace. And um, second time as I'm going on, she starts shouting out again. And I said, you're out of order. Uh, you need to sit down. Come on. And then third time she did it, I said, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. Ushers, please remove her. She's disruptive. Wow. Now, it may have been real tongues, but it was yeah. an abuse. In other words, I, that wow. wasn't my issue. So yes. here's what I truly believe, though. Just like someone says, how do I know that I'm really saved? I mean, I prayed the prayer. I, well, look at the fruit in your life. Mm-hmm. If it, are you developing a relationship with the Lord? Is moral conviction coming into your heart? Yeah. Or yeah. your interests changing, desires change? Are these things yeah. happening? If not, okay, something's wrong somewhere because it's not lining up. So the same way, if someone says, look, I'm, I have to keep thinking of words. Okay, obviously you didn't receive the gift. Or I prayed in tongues for you know, an hour a day, worshiping the Lord, meditating on the Lord, and I just think I'm saying gibberish. Okay, well, maybe you are. Uh, <laughs> because when it's the real thing, you, here, I mean, I, I could take out my, my latest book, uh, Has God Failed You? There we go. Uh, finding faith when you're not even sure God is real. I could take this out and read it and pray in tongues out loud the whole time because I'm using a different part of my brain. Mm. Now, I, I couldn't read this book and, and talk to you coherently. I'd have to stop reading it. Mm. Uh, so you know there's something fresh coming out of you, but then you get edified. You get built up. There's mm. good fruit that comes out of it. Yeah. And if there's no good fruit that comes out of it or you're trying to manufacture it, then obviously you haven't received the real thing. Yeah. So I good. just, you know, with all respect to your friend there, 
I'm just not hung up on that. I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where they, they said, okay, is that real tongues or not? In fact, there seems to be an assumption when they pray for people to receive the Spirit and suddenly they're all speaking in tongues. It's like, okay, that was they received the same thing we did. And, mm-hmm. and as I've traveled around the world and prayed with people in tongues, there's that same feel. There's you know, even people from many different languages and cultures, there are certain similar things when they're praying in tongues together. Um, but I don't think we're supposed to get hung up on that and I would look for other areas, you know, gift of dis- discerning of spirits. That would be, is it the devil or is it the Holy Spirit? Yeah. And I have been around that, you know, where it's demonic, yeah. where someone is demonically empowered and yeah. it's a tormenting thing. And when, when the spirit's driven out, there's no more tongues either because the whole thing was from below. Let, let's talk about that. Uh, demons, demonic activity, this, this, this entire notion of different spirits. Um, from, from my understanding, I've, I've, prayed for for you know for someone that, that felt like they've had a demon before I've, I've prayed against that in the name of jesus casting out the whole bit um where do you draw the line between okay this is potentially spiritual demonic activity versus hey this is something this is potentially someone's brain that just is misfiring and it's not aligned or this or someone um is in a habit loop and they're dealing with addiction because they were sinned against and yes, the sin against them was demonic, like somebody being, you know, uh, assaulted as a child or something like that. Um, but, 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 but it seems like in, in some of these circles that everything can kind of get deduced to uh, it's a it's a demon and we need deliverance ministry. When sometimes it seems like, hey, maybe you just need to go outside, go on a walk, eat better, sleep better, get some activity, pray, get around some better people, get in a local church. And and everything is not a demon, right? And every and I and I personally don't believe Christians can have demons. I believe you, we could have a degree of de- demonic oppression, but I don't think we could be possessed by a demon as a follower of Jesus. Where do you stand on on all this? From in terms of like uh, dealing with our bodies in a natural way, in a material way, in a physical way, but also acknowledging that yes, there is spiritual forces at play. Right. You know, some have said you can't crucify a demon and you can't cast out the flesh. So you you need to deal, know what you're dealing with. And it's like everything else, we tend to go to extremes. Either there are no demons or everything is a demon. Mm. And, you know, there was, there's a fun, funny story. Well, it's a sad, funny story, but there was a story told about a a sister, a woman who was about to get married and she was, she was terribly, terribly overweight. She's a couple hundred pounds overweight. And uh, the day before her wedding, she went to the leader of a a Bible college is in the seventies and, she went to this leader and, and um, she said, would you pray for me? I need a miracle by tomorrow. I need to lose 200 pounds by tomorrow for my wedding. And according to the story, he said to her, he said, sister, I, I'm sorry, but this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. Uh, yeah, that's, but, that's, that's a good story to illustrate the point that, that I'm trying to yeah. make is like, hey, so, sometimes you've made a mess and you need and it's going to take time. Right. So. There are two basic ways I'd look at this. There are times when it's clearly a demon. In other words, it just shouts at you that this is demonic, that, that you're preaching and suddenly there's this complete uproar from someone or they start foaming at the mouth and you feel gripped by the spirit to drive this thing out. And in Jesus' name, you do. And I've seen it. You know, a person shakes, falls to the ground, but then they, they get up fine and they're like stunned by what happened. Um, so there's the case is just they come shouting at you sometimes. And if you're a cessationist, it's like 
this is really weird now because it seems like the stuff in the Bible, but we just don't believe it. Um, and it's not mental illness. It's, it's not something else. It's not just someone putting on a show. But you, you tend to feel it as well. In other words, the, the Holy Spirit gives you that witness that that's what you're dealing with. Otherwise, my, my posture would be that I'm going to deal with this as if it's not a demon. In okay. other words, if, if someone has some real stronghold in their life, I'm going to deal with it as like I would with any other disciple. Okay, let's get to the root of this. How did you open the door to this? How, uh, we, we may have to, to really come against this and, and pray for deliverance for you, you know, from the stronghold. But then we've got to you know, put up, you know, develop new habits and things like that. And when it's like they're oppressed and they can't break the thing and they're tormented, mm. then it's like, okay, this seems to be more demonic. Or when you have almost a, a series of events, one after another, after another, where it almost seems like this person's cursed. Like what mm -hmm. is happening here? Mm -hmm. And you just mm -hmm. recognize a pattern and sense in prayer, they're under demonic attack. Mm. And at times like that, you, you, you pray, get your heart right. And, and then you come against these things in Jesus name and see breakthroughs. So if it's not overtly, clearly demonic, almost jumping at you, so to say, then, then I'm going to seek to minister to that person to grow in the Lord, to, to renew their mind, to do these things that, that need to be done to find freedom. And, and, and if, in fact, um, they're unable to and it just seems they really are bound, then we dig a little deeper spiritually. The same way with, with a sickness, if there's no explanation. I, I remember uh, one missionary and his daughter got gravely ill, critically ill. Hmm. And and he he was really in very dangerous areas and dealt with witch doctors a lot. So he was fasted a lot because of the demonic battles he was in. And the doctors came and they said, your daughter's dying of thus and such. And he said, with all respect, could you please go back and check her out again? I think she's about 13, 14. And they come back the next day stunned. They said, sir, it's a completely different condition than we diagnosed. I think it was every day for a week. They came back with something different, and then he, real, oh, he realized, okay, this is just a demonic attack on my daughter. And, and they fasted and prayed and broke the thing, and she was healed. So unless you have a gift of discernment, and it's a real ministry that God's given you with proven fruit, like anything else, you know, that, that it's demonstrated with good fruit over a period of time and scripturally sound, then if the thing doesn't just jump at you, then you 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 wait for it to prove itself that it must be this, that it's not these other things. Uh, look, something could look like someone's demonized and, and it's just epilepsy. Mm. Or it could be that this person has a chemical imbalance. And here we are trying to drive demons out of them. And, and they either need a healing or medication, one of the two, you know. But what we can't deny is everywhere Jesus went in ministry, he encountered demons. And demons are active in the book of Acts as well. So the idea that they just suddenly disappeared and we don't have to deal with them anymore is, is really a, a, a misconception. Mm. And it, it's nothing that I major on, but I'm sure as I'm out doing the will of God, especially in more unreached areas, that, that I will continue to encounter people who are demonized. And as to Christians having a demon or not, so people would either say demon-possessed, having a demon, demonized, demon-oppressed, and a lot of it is semantics. Do I believe that a demon spirit can inhabit the body of a Christian and rule that person? No. Do I believe that someone can open themselves up to demonic influence, that they come under that demonic spirit's control somehow, that 
I, I believe it happens. People, just like they can become bound by porn or bound by gambling mm -hmm. or bound by mm -hmm. some other sin, either yeah. physical addiction or emotional, the same thing spiritual. Um, but either way, to me, I, I end up not debating on that because some, some of it just comes down to how we translate the Greek word as a demonized or demon possessed in the debate about that. I just say the devil is somewhere in your life that he doesn't belong. Let's drive it out in Jesus' name, <laughs> wherever it is, whether Amen. he's on your grounds or in your house or in your yeah. head, he's yeah. belong there. Yeah, let's let's drive him out in Jesus' name. That's so good. Um, that is so good. I think I think I think that brings a ton of clarity on 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 this conversation. Um, let's talk about Israel, uh, and, and we'll wrap with with this. You um, you're Jewish. Uh, <laughs> you have been to Israel. You are very educated on the entire conflict. Right now, there seems to be one of two extremes. The one extreme we're seeing folks in. Uh, on one extreme that, hey, we just always stand with the oppressor, uh, the oppressed, and Palestine is the oppressed, and therefore we just need mm -hmm. to stand with the oppressed regardless on Hamas and what's going on with the, some of the terrorist stuff in there. And then the other side is saying, you know, hey, we always need to stay with Israel no matter what. Israel is God's chosen people. We stand with Israel even if and even when Israel misbehaves. Before before I, I get you your thoughts on this, because I really, I really want to hear your thoughts. Guys, if you're enjoying this video, give it a like. This has been just just bomb after bomb drop uh, and make sure that you're subscribed here with the bell notification on and make sure you're also subscribed to Ask Dr. Brown's channel, which is pinned up in the title and in the description of this video. So Israel, Hamas, Palestine, this entire conflict goes back at least a hundred, uh, at least a hundred years after the Ottoman Empire fell, uh, and, but it goes before that, right? And so, could you, could you uh, just kind of break break it down from your perspective on this? Yeah, so I'll I'll give the the short version. This may have to be a a, a lengthier conversation another day, but but here are the things that that I hold to be true. Number one that God did scatter the Jewish people from the land under judgment, but in keeping with his promise has regathered. That when God blesses, no one can curse. When he curses, no one can bless. When he opens the door, no one can shut it. When he shuts the door, no one can open it. When he scatters, no one can gather. So the reason that my people are back in the land is because God regathered us, not because of our goodness, but because of his goodness. Just as he said in Ezekiel 36, he's doing it for his namesake, not because of our righteousness. He's bringing us back into the land unclean, and they're sprinkling clean water on us. So these are lasting covenants he made. Uh, read Psalm 105 just as one example among many that he promised this to Abraham's descendants in the plural. And Romans 15, Paul indicates that the Messiah does not cancel the promises to the patriarchs, but he confirms them. So the Jewish people are back in the land by the will of God, and, and therefore, I absolutely affirm the modern state of Israel as of prophetic significance and according to the will of God. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, I recognize the devil wants to destroy the Jewish people, wipe them out entirely, and keep them out of the land, and hence the constant controversy. I also see from Scripture that a Jewish Jerusalem must welcome the Messiah back, hence the battle over Jerusalem, and obviously the ultimate thing, keeping Jews away from Jesus. So number one, God brought the Jewish people back to the land, so I stand with God's activity there. Number two, Satan wants to wipe them out, drive them out of the land. So I stand against Satan's activity. Number three, through much of church history, the church has persecuted the Jewish people, has driven them out of countries because they mm. wouldn't be baptized. Mm. Your average Jew, uh, the more religious they are, the more they know their history, 
the more they think Christianity is an evil religion, uh, the more they think there's a straight line from Jesus to the Holocaust. And one of the great ways for Christians to overcome the stain of blood on our history and the way that, that Jews have been driven away from Jesus by the church is, is to recognize out of the ashes of the Holocaust, God restored the Jewish people back to the land. It's a modern miracle. And Christians should stand with the Jewish people in that regard, recognizing that they're surrounded by, by hateful enemies that want to destroy them. So Christian solidarity with Israel has gone a long way to removing the stench of the past. If folks have never read my book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, it's, it's an eye-opener. It's like must-reading for Christians about church history. And Christian love for Israel has really gone a long way to, to saying, hey, this is who we really are. I know you have you know, Martin Luther's anti-Semitism and the Catholic Church's anti-Semitism, but this is who we really are. Hmm. That being said, God cares for every human being, and God cares for Palestinians just as much as he cares for Jews. Yeah. And God wants fair treatment of all, and therefore, as friends of Israel, we should urge them to do their best to, to work peacefully and in the best interest of all parties in the land, including the Palestinians. So yes. my heart is fundamentally standing with Israel while at the same time calling Israel to account where I differ. True friends differ. I have more differences with my wife, Nancy, than anyone. You know, she's more critical of me than any human being on the planet. And yeah. she, we're the best of friends for over 45 years, married. You know, yeah. So as a friend of Israel, if I differ with Israel, I'm going to call Israel out. Now, on a historical level, there's a, uh, on my video channel, there's a, a lecture I did, uh, Is Israel an, an Evil Occupier? That people find really helpful on the S. Dr. Brown YouTube channel. But in short, there was always a Jewish presence in the land for 2,000 years, even after we were, we were exiled, there was always a Jewish presence there. Jerusalem was always the city to which Jews prayed. Every year at Passover, Jews would say, next year in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the eternal capital of the Jewish people in that respect. And, and the one and only homeland for the Jewish people. So even while most of our people were in exile around the world, there was always the hope, the longing to be back in the land and to be back in Jerusalem, worshiping God there. And that was to be what the Messiah would do, you know, regather the exiles. Uh, over the centuries, different uh, ones controlled what would be called the Holy Land. The church and then Islam took over and then back and forth and then ultimately Ottoman Empire and then British Mandate uh, you know, after, after World War I being given responsibility there. What happened was you had, you had a predominantly Arab presence, a minority Jewish presence in the late 1800s. But as more and more Jews started to return to the land and cultivate the land, this provided better opportunities for the Arab farmers. So more and more Arabs moved into the area. So you have some that identify as Palestinian that have been there many, many centuries. Mm -hmm. so, some maybe for 2,000 years, you know, back to the, some may have originally been Jews who lived there and then were forced to convert to Islam. Mm. So that's a very interesting little story about Palestinians mm. with Jewish DNA. Yeah, um, yeah. But the great majority, the vast majority of those who identify as Palestinian today do not have a history of hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, it, it began with the greater influx in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and pretty much both parties living side by side. Mm -hmm. uh, Jewish landowners developing, you know, draining the swamps, different things, Arab workers coming in. So Arab majority, 
Jewish minority. That was the reality. What, uh, what then happens is uh, uh, you have the Balfour Declaration that there would be a Jewish homeland. Yep. And then you begin to have the uprising against the Jews starting in the 1920s under Haj Amin al-Husseini, who became a confidant of Adolf Hitler. Some believe he was the one that suggested extermination. But in any case, you have the first intifadas, the slaughter of Jews and things like that. But in those days, the ones who identified as Palestinians were Jews. The Palestinian orchestra was Jewish. The, the newspaper we know as the Jerusalem Post was called the Palestine Post, and it was Jewish. The Arabs did not identify as Palestinians because there was no such thing as a Palestinian history. They were Arabs living in the land. They were part of greater Syria. That was the larger identity or part of Jordan. But they, they did not have that. Even statehood in the Middle East was not clearly defined until that time. It was more tribal. Uh, you know, things like Saudi Arabia as a, as a state, these are just tribal regions otherwise with different groups. Okay, so anyway, in 1937, the Peel Commission presents an opportunity and says, okay, let's do this. We'll have Jerusalem and another stretch through the middle of the land under international and British control. Mm -hmm. The Arabs will get 75%. The Jews will get the remaining, what, 18%, something like that. There was great debate among the Jewish community, but leaders opting towards siding with it. But the Arabs unanimously say, no, this is our land. We're not making an agreement to live here with the Jews. Mm. So then 1947, the UN partition plan. Now, this is much mm -hmm. worse. The Jews get much less land this time around. Mm -hmm. the, the Jewish leadership accepts it. David Ben-Gurion, Golda Meir say, look, there's room for everyone. Let's live together as neighbors and friends. The Arab leadership says, we're going to wipe you out. We're going to drive you into the sea. Mm -hmm. So what happens is when Israel declares its independence in 1948, immediately 800,000 Jews in all the surrounding Muslim countries are forcefully exiled. Mm. They are kicked out of the countries. Wow. And the majority go to Israel. Others emigrate to different parts of the world. There are about 600,000 or say roughly 800,000 Arabs living in the land at that time. Mm -hmm. Because of the war, about 600,000 leave. Some flee for their own lives. Some are driven out by the Israeli army. And others listen to the Arab leadership who says, we're going to drive the Jews into the sea, then come back, take your land. About 200,000 stay. So what happens is that the 600,000 now become refugees because the Arab armies, five Arab armies attack, Muslim armies attack, and Israel miraculously wins. This fledgling little army, yeah, brand new nation, yeah. fresh out of the Holocaust, somehow, yeah. somehow survives. Mm -hmm. And now you have a refugee crisis. Who created it? The Arab leaders. Mm -hmm. They could have accepted the Peel Commission boundaries and had a two-state solution in 37. They could have accepted in 47, 48. They didn't. Yeah. So now many of these uh, make their way to Gaza. That's where a lot of the refugees are. The surrounding Arab nations, the Arab League in the 50s says, we will not accept Palestinian refugees. We will not accept mm -hmm. them. Yeah. So now you have the refugee problem that is constantly making Israel look bad. Yeah. And, and then the Six-Day War in 1967, Israel extends its boundaries yep. in, a, in a safer way, etc. And ever since then, What's going to happen? What's the solution? Now, the, the big statement that remains true is if the Palestinians, meaning the leaders, put down their weapons, there'd be no more war. Yep. If the Israelis put down their weapons, there'd be no more Israel. Yep. And, and yep. the problem yep. is that the Palestinian leadership is the great problem. The, the Israelis are going further and further to the right, and there's more extremism coming up and more Arab hatred coming up among some of the right-wing parties, but that's still the minority. Yeah. Unfortunately, the leadership of Hamas yep. 
they are bent on destroying Israel, period. Yep. There cannot yep. be a Jewish state. And you have to realize from the perspective of Islam, once something is under Islamic control, if it's taken back, that's an absolute affront. That would be mm. like someone running off with your wife. Mm. And, and you know, how can that be? Yeah. So Hamas is a terrorist organization that wants to wipe Israel off the map. Yeah. And yet the leadership that was elected by the people of Gaza. So you grow up in Gaza Strip. The, the average age of people living in Gaza is about 18. A, a tremendous amount of young people. Yeah. You grow up living enclosed because Israel's had to blockade because of Hamas weapons and terrorism, right? You grew up under that. You grew up with massive unemployment, periodically bombed by Israel. So they're the enemy. They're the bad yeah. ones. Yeah. And Hamas are trying to fight these demons off. But the reality is it's bad leadership. Yeah. Same with Palestinian Authority. Not as bad as Hamas, but they've been in civil war for years. They had a yeah. bloody civil war in Gaza. And Mahmoud Abbas was elected many, many years ago. Whatever happened to the elections, they haven't happened since. Mm. So I believe that, the, that if there could be uh, leaders of the Palestinians who fully embrace the fact that there will be a Jewish state here in the Middle East and that working together with this state and dwelling side by side in an honorable way is the best thing for it. I believe the majority of Israelis would want to make that happen. Like a two-state two, two, two solution, yeah. Well, if it's, if it's, I mean, I don't know how. That's the bigger issue. Yeah. Two-state, you know, uh, how does it work? Because the Palestinians said we don't want any Jews. If we have two-state, we don't want any Jews in our state. Mm. So that would mean all the, all the settlers, hundreds of thousands of people, have to be kicked out. Mm. Uh, others have said, you know, we won't have autonomy, et cetera. Others have advocated for one-state solution. The problem is that if the, the Palestinians have equal rights and equal voting opportunity, mm -hmm. because they're about 70% of Israel is fairly secular, they have a very low birth rate. The religious Jews have a super high birth rate, as many as, mm -hmm. you know, 12 plus kids, a family. Yeah. I mean, yeah. unbelievably high birth rate. But on average, Palestinians, Muslims, have, have a high birth rate. And over time, they would then outnumber the Jews. Yep. So how do you have one state, which is now going to be, I was going to be a Jewish state if it's primarily right. Muslim. <laughs> so yeah. I, don't, I don't know the solution. Sure. But having spoken at a Palestinian conference, you know, an anti-Zionist conference where I was the one pro-Israel person that came in, uh, and, and spent extensive time sitting with young people, listening, hearing people's stories, going to troubled places, hearing the narrative. It, life is hard for them. Yeah. And, and uh, the 200,000 Arabs who stayed within Israel, right, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they're now over one and a half million. Mm. They have one of the Supreme Court members. They have doctors and professors and lawyers and everything. And they have more freedoms than any other Arab basically in the Middle East. Mm. Uh, and so, when you so, ask them, would you like to be under Hamas or Palestinian authorities? Said, no, no, no. We'd rather be under the Israeli leadership, the great yep. majority. Yep. So to me, the thing is, if you could get Palestinian leadership that truly said, we accept your presence here. There is enough room for all of us. Like, like the, other, you know, the, the other Arab nations with the Abraham Accords, they got fed up with the Palestinians. They said, let's just work together for economic prosperity for the region. You guys just keep refusing what's being offered to you. I believe if that happened and, and Isra Israelis were really con uh, convinced of their, of their safety, that things would really change. So yeah. last point, so much for a short answer. Sorry. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Looking, I love I'm it. This is great. Too. So, okay. There is a security fence that now runs through Israel and even, even separates neighborhoods you know, of the Palestinians. 
and, and then it, in parts, it's actually a wall. So you would have the impression that there's this monstrous wall running through Israel that was built. Actually, over 95% of it is fence. Less than 5% is wall. And they put up walls where there were snipers, and this was to keep snipers out. But uh, the wall, I, I, I watched this video where the designer of the wall talks about the hole of hope, that where you do have the wall, there's a hole on top for the day when they can dismantle it. They lift it up by that and dismantle it. Nobody wants the fence. When I say nobody, the vast majority of, of people on each side don't want it. But Israel put it up to keep murderers out. It's that simple. That's the primary reason for it. Hamas is indiscriminately trying to murder Israelis. When Israel goes to, to war with Hamas, they send warnings. They call families, get out. We're about to bomb this place for, because of terrorist activity. Please leave. Get your children out. So you've got two different mentalities. And I think it was Golda Meir said that, that when, the, when, you, when you, you start, what was the exact saying? Something about loving your children when you hate ours, we can have peace. You know, when, when yeah. you're concerned about your kid's future. Um, now, ultimately, I don't think there'll be total peace until Jesus comes. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do believe there are better ways. I believe Israel can, can move in certain ways to help the Palestinians, but it's all a matter of, of getting rid of the corrupt leadership and having people that really are serious about the betterment of, of all peoples living there. It sounds like the root of the issue goes down to Israel's right to exist as a nation. And it could be, if we could pinpoint it to something, it could be pinpointed to that. And Israel, because of the history of the Holocaust, because of all the oppression the Jewish people have experienced, it's almost like, hey, you're going to say we don't have a right to exist. You're going to say that, you know, and and now it's like the the scrawny kid that got really buff and was bullied is now he's got muscles and he can turn up and he can be kind of rough if he needs to be. And then people are like way confused, but the, la- not understanding the the history of all this stuff. Uh, and a lot of this is honestly a mess made by 1915 and that British treaty and all the confusion with that. And then kind of being dumped into the UN's lap. And it just seems like it's just a multi-layered mess. And so I, I appreciate what you're saying. I think that's that sounds like the heart of it. Does Israel have a right to exist as a nation? Yes. Great. Get some leadership that say that. And then it can get better for the Palestinian people. Unfortunately, the Hamas, it seems like, are doing really calculated PR to keep a lot of the Palestinians on their side, and it just complicates things even more. Yeah, so, so just to weigh in on that briefly, Hamas leadership has really done well now to, to present themselves as the keepers of Jerusalem and the holy sites and the, and the defenders of the people. And this is in the ongoing war to try to win the hearts of the people. And remember before 67, they weren't called Palestinians. This called mm. you know, Arabs or whatever background mm. they had from different nations. But the, the, um, the crisis has been precipitated for Hamas. The more tragically, the more dead Palestinians, the better, because it's better for international PR. It makes Israel look bad. Look at the rise of anti-Semitism around the world, all the Jew hatred. People say, oh, no, no, anti-Semitism is not, not, not uh, anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism. It's like, well, then you tell me why the wrath is not just on Israel, why Jews on the streets are getting attacked all around the yeah. world. Yeah, just so, in New York a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the connection is very deep between the two, for sure, in, in most cases. But that being said, uh, Hamas now is, is like the freedom fighters and the defenders of the people, and they're vying for more control 
Uh, you know, the West Bank is under so-called West Bank under the control of Palestinian Authority, but Hamas would like would like more, more authority and, and, and more control. And for so many of the, the Arabs living there, Hamas, they're the good guys and they're helping us against the bad guys, Israel. Um, the, the, only, the only positive to take away from this is that there are younger people who, because of social media, even though there are restrictions under Hamas and things like yeah. that, you know, have state-run TV and same with Palestinian Authority, that just a, a lot of younger people are saying there's got to be a way, better way. You know, many of them raised, especially in the Palestinian schools with real hostility towards Israel. Think of, you know, you go into a, to a kindergarten that's named after a, a, a terrorist. You know, that's, that is the culture. Uh, and then the, the, the Christians among them are a tiny, tiny minority. But... Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where younger people have, have had it with the way things are. Within Israel, there's tremendous amount of self-criticism. You know, you have Israeli professors calling for boycotts of Israel. Uh, you have Haaretz, which is another historic publication in Israel. And, and many of their editorials are written by, by Muslims, Palestinians that are hostile to, to the state and things like that. So Israel is very self-critical. And the extremism to the right is still still minority. So I believe that yeah. they're that your average person, you know, you think you think Israel enjoys having all of their kids have to serve in the military and spend so much military budget just to keep safe. Mm. And then think every house, every single house in Israel must have a bomb shelter. If you live in an apartment building, there must be X number of bomb shelters for the people. If you if you live in Sderot, which is you know bordering Gaza. Uh, wherever you are, you must be no more than 15 seconds from a bomb shelter. Whether you're in the yeah. shower, whether you're in the playground, 15 seconds. Wow. And you got little kids there that suffering from, from uh, PTSD because of all the bombing. Yeah. And, and then God knows the suffering of, of the people in, in, in Gaza and what they've lived through mm-hmm. and the hardships they've experienced. So you know, your average person, if you can get past you know, the Islamic religious issue, and the historic hatred of Jews and the Jewish hostility towards Palestinians for their murderous ways, etc. I think most people want to live side by side peacefully and they've had it with the wars and the terrorism. Yeah. And that may lead to something better, but you know, it's, it's very complex, deep, religious, yeah. historic, national. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we are mandated to pray though for the peace of Jerusalem in yeah. Psalm 122 and, and Isaiah 62 pray that Jerusalem will be the praise of all the earth and don't stop asking God until he does that. Amen. Dr. Michael Brown, this has been incredible, guys. If you found this valuable, make sure you go subscribe to Dr. Michael Brown's channel. It's in the description. Uh, give this video a like. Make sure you're subscribed here, all that good stuff. Uh, Dr. Michael Brown, I'm going to give you the final word. A lot of people watching, what would you like to leave us with? We covered a lot of topics, so uh, final word for everybody watching here. All right, three final words. Number one, Wherever you stand theologically, just go after God. Make your life count. Pursue everything he has and make your life count to reach a lost and dying world. That's, that's number one. Number two, uh, visit my website, askdrbrown.org. We've got tons of resources. Sign up for my emails while you're there. We, we share a lot more stuff via email. So askdrbrown.org. And with that, you can connect with me on social media anywhere. And then number three, the reason in the midst of a kind of crazy busy schedule that I'm on this broadcast is because I like this guy. So I've only <laughs> got to tell you. you a little bit through the broadcast, but I like you. I appreciate you, man. So we're in this together, buddy. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Dr. Michael Brown. Guys, there you have it. Make sure you subscribe, like all that kind of stuff, and send, uh, send, send Dr. Michael Brown some love in his comments and on his Twitter. He responds to a lot of his tweets. So, Dr. Michael Brown, thank you so much. This was incredible. Probably my favorite stream yet. So thank you so much. Awesome. God bless you, man. Thank you. God bless you. Joshua the king came down and bore it all. Yeah. Conversations from the fireplace. All of my mistakes out of wire race. Wanna operate at a higher pace. Birth pains causing the body to dilate on a first name basis with the worst pain facing. Moments in isolation. Holy smokes, you made it through the entire episode. Shout out to you probably means you're rocking with what we're doing. And again, we ain't got no sponsors on this show, and I'm going to keep it that way. But what you can do to keep it sponsor-free is consider signing up for our King's Dream Patreon. The link is in the description of this episode. Best way to get a hold of me, best way to hop into a group Zoom call, and the best way to partner with what we're doing here. Help us create more stuff just like this. Thank you for listening. Peace.